Millennials use the library more than any other generation across the nation. I don't want to be told what to read, and I think the kids feel that way too. Letting them read whatever it is they want to read is, a, is I think, one of the best ways to make sure that they continue reading for pleasure. There's a couple of myths that I think we have to dispel about libraries. I probably get shushed more than I shush people, to be quite honest. Just in case you didn't notice, on this episode of Around River City, I'm talking with a librarian. I'm Ken Cooper, and this is Around River City. It's the podcast about the people and the businesses and the organizations that make it such a cool place to live. This time around, my guest is Linda Jerome, teen librarian with the La Crosse Public Library. We'll talk a little bit about the history of the library here in the La Crosse area, how a person becomes a teen librarian. She's going to give me some advice on sharing books with my daughter, and we'll also talk about a lot of the things the library does that don't really involve books. That's all coming up with Linda Jerome on Around River City. We'll be right back. I'm Ken Cooper, and this is Around River City. It's the podcast about the people, the businesses, and the organizations that really make this a cool place to live. You can find the podcast living at aroundrivercity.com or anywhere that you get your podcasts. It's absolutely free. You can even subscribe. That's free, too. And we'll send you a notification every time we have a new episode out. So this time around, we are busting some library myths. That's right. Talking with Linda Jerome. She's a teen librarian for the La Crosse Public Library. And as any good conversation does, ours started with a little small talk. Shitty weather today. Yeah, I, I'm really like, I thought, okay, it's April. And so now we'll finally like spring is coming. It's Easter on Sunday. And I thought, okay, we're kind of, we're making it. And then Mother Nature just said, yeah. you're funny. I'm starting to think so, spring is a myth. It's well. It feels like we just go right from winter into summer. It doesn't yeah. feel like there's any transition yeah. anymore. Yeah, like there used to be a good solid month of just like lovely, kind yeah. of slightly warmish, no bugs days, and now it's just like cold. And then all of a sudden, I'm wearing sandals and shorts. And you know, now that I think about it, maybe mm-hmm. it's people like you, librarians, oh. that are at fault. <laughs> For creating the mythology of a beautiful spring, because you have all these books of poetry about how beautiful spring is, well, and you have these stories of beautiful spring. I can even hear the you, birds chirping I, in as we're talking, I but it's not that's real. Killing the messenger, like we're not the ones writing the poetry; we're just the ones providing access yeah, to the poetry. Yeah, so but we need someone to blame. Yeah, well, blame the poets. I would say. Okay. okay. All right. So let's talk about the Lacrosse Public yes. Library. Yes. Um. It's a, it's bigger than a lot of people might think. Mm. Yeah, I think that uh, I think a lot of people have been familiar with it. I mean, Lacrosse uses their libraries very well. Uh, I think that our library is a very nice library. I mean, compared to I've been to many other libraries in many other places around the country, and I think ours holds up. I mean, it's not like a pristine example, but I think it does really well, and I think that's because people in La Crosse value their library. In fact, we're kind of rare in the sense that we have the size of our town. We have not only a main library, but two smaller branches as well. And that's rather unusual for a town our size. There's no other town in the state of Wisconsin that's around our size that has more than one building. So I think that that proves that our our patrons and our members of our community love to have a library nearby. And they're willing to support that. 
and they're all they're all wonderful facilities mm-hmm. on their yes. on their own. I yes. I loved it when I for a while I lived on Farnham Street yep. right across from the mm-hmm. Southside Library and yeah. it was at a time when my daughter was young yes. and and we were going to the yep. library and her her first <laughs> I still have a picture the <laughs> the very first book that she picked out I think she was probably 4 maybe yeah. and I got her a library yeah. card and I said you can pick out a book and it was it was not a children's book. Of course it was not. a paperback, some sort of a Western. <laughs> and I just remember that the description on the front cover was there's nothing hotter than the taste of lead. Because it was the way. <laughs> and I said, absolutely, take that book, honey. And we're going to take a picture and I'm going to show this to you someday. I mean, we, we believe in children's right to read. So, I mean, <laughs> if she's willing to go, you know, to start with a Western, more power to her. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess I'm wondering why okay. is our library so successful? Why why are we able to have three branches when so many other towns our size have just one? Is That's a was great this on question. purpose or did it um, just happen? I think that well, I think our library. I mean, Lacrosse has a long history. We've had a public library since 1888. That's when Lacrosse Public Library started. It was in 1888. Um, our wow. former uh, there's a man, and you'll know this name. This name is very familiar in Lacrosse. His name was C.C. Washburn. So when you think of sure. Washburn Park. You you yep. think of Washburn neighborhood, you think of Washburn neighborhood, you know, all of that stuff. It's all from him. It's all C.C. Washburn. And what happened was when he passed away in the early 1880s, uh, I think it was 1882, he, in his will, left a significant amount of money. It was $50,000 then, which would be probably with inflation, probably over a million dollars today. So an, a significant amount of money to the city of La Crosse with the sole stipulation that, that they needed to buy land and build a public library. So... About, I think, six years later, um, in 1888, they bought land and built a beautiful library on the corner of 8th and Main, which is where we still are today. Um, and you can still see pictures and photographs. There's still people in our communities that remember the original library. Um, I was not born yet. Thank you very much. Uh, and <laughs> me either. I would like to <laughs> thank say you, me yes. either. And then in the 60s, which is what happened, was happening a lot in downtown La Crosse, they tore down a lot of those old historic buildings and put up what they considered to be modern buildings. Um, and so that's when the original library building was torn down in 1967 and replaced with the building that we currently have. What did that original library look like? It's beautiful. Like, it's just like you, when you think of like a classic like library, it had these beautiful large windows and they had a turret. Like, apparently that's where the children's area was. You walked up spiral stairs to get there. Um, it was just a beautiful old building. Again, I wasn't alive then. So I've only seen pictures and heard stories about it. Um, but it was like what you picture like a classic early, you know, yeah. 20th century the library would look like. Of exactly. A library. Right. Um, and I th- and that one was torn down. And then we have this one. And we've remodeled our, that building several times since 1967. Um, and so, but there's been a library on that corner for. 120 something years that's really cool it's very cool and um i'm sure there's a lot of communities that can brag about that but i think um and then the branches didn't arrive until north didn't arrive until i think it's 1942 and then 10 years later the south community library arrived in 1952 when did libraries become so much more than books (laughs) i mean i have a feeling it's been always to a Uh, certain extent i agree um i think that as people 
when they became, they started kind of becoming one of those places where it wasn't just about the materials, it was about the place itself. It became a community place where people would meet or run into each other and have conversations or be, you know, we see this today, we see, you know, parents who are like, we'll meet at the library and our kids will play for a couple of hours. Or uh, we have, you know, people who want to meet and have a conversation and they need some place that's not going to require them to buy something to stay there or not going to kick them out after an hour because they they're taking up space. Uh, and so I feel like libraries have slowly been, been becoming those places that what they call a third place in the community. That's not your home. That's not your school or work. It's another place that you can go that people that you can just meet other people and, and connect with other people and talk to people that you might not run into anywhere else in your life and have a conversation. And so that has slowly been happening, I think, for a long time. And I think now we're kind of leaning even more into it as, you know, books are always going to be around, I think. But I think that there's a lot of need for a lot of other things as well, besides just books. And so we've been trying to provide that kind of that programming and access and connections to people in our community for a long time. Honestly, I think the pandemic put a whole new focus on the library. Absolutely. I think the, and you, you really shined the, the libraries really came through for the, the city and the community in a big way during the pandemic. Thank you. We really wanted to make sure, I mean, we were desperate to help people. I mean, we wanted to make sure that we were doing whatever we could do during that time. And whether that was digital collections or, running books out to your car or, you know, whatever it is might be answering phone calls or emails. for Wi-Fi in the parking lot. Wi-Fi in the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. We were just, we're like, how can we, and I hated this word at the time because we said it 1500 times during the pandemic, but how can we pivot to fix, to meet what the need is right now? Because we've never lived through this before. And so how do we figure out what it is that our community needs from us now? Because everything's different. Um, and so that was a great challenge for us, but I think it also uh, really kind of helped us evolve, move forward in a lot of ways as well. Well, here's a question um, that I that I thought a lot about during the pandemic. What changes that were made or mm-hmm. pivots that were made mm-hmm. at the library in the library system that were made for the pandemic mm-hmm. do you think might become permanent or have become permanent? I think that uh, some of our programming is going to be hybrid programming, whereas before we own Uh, 99.9% of our program was like, you had to be there. And if you missed it, you missed it. Whereas now we have the take capability and the skills now to either live stream it. And meaning that like, if you can't be there in person, you can still watch it and or video or record it. So that way, if you missed it that night, you have access to it after the fact, um, which just increases access to for everyone. Like there's lots of things that even I would like to go to sometimes even just not on work hours. And, but I've got other things happening and I'm like, Oh shoot, I'm going to miss this. And I don't, have to i can do other things so i think that's the thing that's going to stay um, because you know we're all about access and letting people participate in in whatever ways they're most comfortable or works best for them in their lives so i think that's a big one that's going to stay and i think also um, us paying very close attention to our digital um, collections is also going to be a thing that we were paying attention it's not like we had ignored them but um, i think the pandemic really shined a light on what we have there. And we saw that people really loved accessing that stuff. And I think we've gained a lot of people that were like, oh, I'm going to just use this now. I'm going to just use the Libby app and I'm going to download eBooks and audiobooks, or I'm going to hop on Hoopla or I'm going to hop on whatever because I don't need to go into the library necessarily to use its services. And so um, I think those are going to be things that are going to stay forever 
along with our app. I, I think another unique thing, or or maybe it's just a coincidentally mm. beneficial thing, is the the central location of the main library, mm-hmm. right in the heart of downtown Lacrosse, right. or right in yes. near downtown near Lacrosse, down, yes. where there has been quite the renaissance happening yes. over the last several years. Mm-hmm. When we think about that renaissance, we think a lot about uh, residential living, and we think a lot about business. Right. How do you think the library fits into this downtown Lacrosse renaissance? I think it fits in beautifully. I think that um, we're one of the things that makes downtown downtown to be quite honest i mean we've been there for a long time and we don't intend to go anywhere but i think also with people moving into downtown um, i think they're using us in a, a way that they maybe were differently than they had been previously because we're so much closer to where they are living and we're walkable right so if you live downtown we're just a few blocks away no matter where you are and so i think that um well here okay so libraries i think the health of a community you can be can be tested lots of ways and i think one of the ways a community, the health of a community can be tested as the state of their public library. That's what I think personally. Um, and I think that if you have a healthy library that's being used, then I think you have a healthy community. And I think if you have a library that's not being utilized, then I think then there's probably other things that are not going well in that community. Uh, and so I think that while we don't necessarily have a business to sell, we don't have products to sell, um, and we, you can't live at our, <laughs> our library. I think that we're one of those things that draws people to downtown as well. Like when they think about like what else, uh, oh, I like the vibe of downtown. I like, I have, you know, a grocery store. I have other businesses that are nearby. Oh, my library is nearby. And I think that's also true in a lot of our branch libraries, like both the North and the South library. That's a draw for people in those neighborhoods is because they know there's a library close by. Is the generation between let's say 18 and 35 are they rediscovering libraries or is that a you know it's interesting because i think people always assume that because these uh, i think that's like a millennial age group if i'm remembering correctly i believe so it's not mine that's it's all i know it's not mine sure. either sadly uh and but uh, one of the statistics that you know we hear about and talk about a lot in libraries is that millennials use the library more than any other generation millennials are one of the most active groups of libraries across the nation. And so we always assume that it's boomers or it's Gen Xers, um, and that's not true. Millennials have grown up using libraries, and so they continue to do that as adults. Um, And so... And we love that, and we think that's amazing. And so we're always trying to, and that's one of the reasons why we have programs like Storytime for Adults, which is kind of aimed at that, you know, adult to um, seniors age group and we see that we see a wide variety of people well we have some seniors that come (laughs) not that they can't come to story time for adults but um we're trying to we're trying to hit that age group right of like people that are out of college and working and either have families or are done with families or just looking for things to do in the community and so we're always kind of looking around for programming and materials and things like that to kind of um make sure that that age group still feels like there's a place for them at our building and our library. Linda Jerome, teen librarian for the Lacrosse Public Library System. I'm Ken Cooper, your host here on Around River City. We're going to come right back and talk about how Linda became a teen librarian and we're going to bust some library myths. This is Around River City. Mm-hmm. 
I'm Ken Cooper, and this is Around River City. It's the podcast about the people, the businesses, and organizations that make this a really cool place to live. And I'm really excited that I had a chance to sit down the other day with Linda Jerome. She's a librarian for the La Crosse Public Libraries. I actually know several librarians now. I never thought I would know so many of them, but they're all pretty cool people. Let's continue the conversation with Linda Jerome and get a little bit of her teen librarian origin story. (laughs) Well, in my case, it was very kind of an organic experience. So I'm a bit of a dinosaur in library world in the sense that uh, I started working at La Crosse Public Library when I was 17. I was a senior in high school. It was just a 10-hour week job I had after, you know, my mom was like, you got to get a job. And uh, I said, okay. And I always, we were a big library family. We always had gone to the library. And she suggested that I get a job shelving books. And I was like, oh, fine. Okay, whatever. Um, and got a job, started working, and um, ended up going to UWL. And so I continued working at the library and increased my hours. It was still shelving books for the first couple of years. <laughs> and then um, got a desk job at our North Library. And that kind of got me through the rest of college. And then um, by that t- point, I had fallen in love with library work. And I thought, hmm. I always thought that would be something I'd come back to after I was done with my original career, but then it turned out that I was like, well, maybe I should do this first and then flip it. What did you think the career would be? Um, I was going to be a teacher. I was going to be a secondary ed history teacher. So I was going to teach middle and high school kids, which feeds in well to what I'm doing now. Yes, but what a frightening (laughs) thought. Having been a middle school and a high school kid, oh my gosh. I love those teenagers. They're the best. And, And so I... Worked there, and then a full-time position opened up, um, and I applied, and I got it. And so um, shortly after I graduated college, I worked there full-time, and then that position wasn't in youth services um, at that point. I kind of transitioned back into youth services eventually, a few years later, um, and then just starting doing all the children's stuff, not just teens. And then at that point, we were really starting to try and grow our teen services, trying to kind of grow our programming and things like that. And I had always had an interest and still loved and wanted to work with teenagers. And so it just kind of became this thing where I kind of started doing more and more of it uh, and eventually decided to go to graduate school and uh, did that online for five years and got my master's. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And, uh, and then eventually formally became the teen librarian. Um, and so it was very kind of like, there wasn't like a day where they're like, you are now the teen librarian. It was more of just a thing that kind of happened as I took more and more of those responsibilities and yeah. it started going well. We seem to be hitting on the word evolution a lot in this <laughs> yes. conversation. Things just yes. sort of happened Evolved, at yes. the library. And it's been lovely. I mean, honestly, that's one of the lo- best things about working there is that there's, um, they've also, they've always been super supportive of me in particular, but a, a lot of staff feel that way that we've kind of been able, there's been room to grow. And we've been um, growing our programming for teens and collections for teens and space for teens ever since. And so it's hmm. been really fantastic. Well, I want to talk about teen mm-hmm. literature, mm-hmm. but first I want to, I should dispel a myth because I'm, I'm sitting here looking at you as we talk and you've been a librarian your whole yes. life. You're, you're actually pretty cool. Oh, (laughs) 
I mean, as in general, yes, I think librarians are pretty cool, mostly because we come from very like, uh, like I said, I'm a dinosaur in the sense that I've been doing this as long as I've been doing it. It's been it'll be 32 years in September. But most of us come to it from very a wide variety of other careers and paths and educational backgrounds. Um, And so we're a very eclectic group of humans, um, but all have the same desire to kind of help people and connect people with information and with other resources um, within our community. Um, And so we all come from, we all have a different story of how we ended up in libraries. Very few of us were like kids who were like, I want to be a librarian when we grow up. Most of us, like myself, if you had asked me when I was 17, if I was going to be here 32 years later, I would have laughed in your face and said, you're hilarious. There's no way. (laughs) What are you talking about? Why would I work here for the rest of my adult life? And now, can you imagine having done anything else? Not really, no. I mean, this is a perfect way for me to kind of be get to work with teenagers and one of the things I like is that I could work with teenagers and I don't have to be I don't have to grade them on anything <laughs> I don't have to oh, grade nice, them on anything nice I can just be there and we can have a great time and I can connect them to books which is also a passion of mine and so uh, it was just it's just kind of like the best of both worlds for me but okay. I think most of us who came there's a few of us on staff that have have always wanted to be and, and then ended up being um, but most of us on staff were just kind of we kind of happened into it mm-hmm. it just kind of I have started. not seen one tweed coat with leather patches on the elbows at the <laughs> well, library. Well, I think that that's the other thing, too. There's a couple of myths that I think we have to dispel about libraries, and I think modern libraries. Um, yes, there's typically, there's de- very, absolutely, there are people there that are introverted humans that are much more comfortable around books than they are around people. Absolutely. Uh but there's also people there that are very outgoing and love the humans and want to do, you know, enjoy being around people um, and are really interested in what's going on in our community and all that kind of thing. Um, I probably get shushed more than I shush people, to be quite <laughs> honest. I'm kind of loud human, which, again, doesn't make a lot of That's sense right. for my job description. Uh, I I don't shush people, and especially in the children's room and the teen area, we're not really interested in quiet. We're interested in... Intri- we're interested in, in people being, being connected and being, right yeah and we understand that children are children and teens are teens and there's sometimes developmentally inappropriate for us to be like you have to be silent <laughs> for the next 30 minutes that's just not going to happen you know like, i've always i've always thought that was kind of silly to press and pound mm-hmm. these young people into a shape that we think everything is supposed to be yeah and that just no it never does it never work. works no. we didn't like it when we were that Correct. age well, I think that's sometimes when you realize what's coming out about you know, like when you become your parent, right? You're like, I can't believe I just said that. That just came out of my mouth. Uh, so I think that those things, and I think in general, the library. If you're looking for a quiet place, yes, absolutely. There are times during the day when it is relatively quiet in our space. There are also times of the day where it is not going to be quiet in our space. And I'm not just talking about after school. I mean, we also do a fair amount of senior citizen programming, and. Um, and sometimes they're not especially quiet either. Uh, so, and that's wonderful. That's great. We don't mind that um, because we know they're excited and enthusiastic and happy to be there. It's not that they're screaming and complaining and all that kind of thing. And so there are definitely times when the library is quiet, but there's also lots of times when it isn't quiet. And to be quite honest, after being in that building for almost two years without a single patron in it, I never want it to be that quiet again. That was horrible. That was, especially in the children's area, where it's supposed to be lively and fun and interesting. I will never, ever complain about how loud the library is because I'm just so happy to have patrons back in the building again that I, it just, 
it was something I never thought I'd have to live through. And I'm so thrilled that we're past that now. What a great perspective. Yeah. So back to this whole teen mm, lit yes. thing, your specialty. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall there being such a thing as teen literature when I was a teen. I, it didn't seem like anybody was writing for me. That's probably true. So the te- the word, the idea of teens is a more modern thing that really didn't come into being until like the 50s. And so before you were either a child or you were an adult, pick one. Um, and so it wasn't until the 1950s that like this whole idea of teenager being a thing, a developmental thing, and a thing that's different from a child and different from an adult kind of really came into being. And so it makes sense that there wasn't really books right. aimed at that age group because that age group didn't really exist right. in a lot of ways. And it seems funny now look, with what you're saying, mm-hmm. looking at that situation, it seems so obvious that of yeah. course teenagers are different than adults and right. different than children. Right. But for a long time, we didn't think that. So let's dispel another myth. Then. Mm. Teen literature mm-hmm. is just, is just simpler words talking down. No. It's not interesting. I can't, if I'm no. over 25, I'm going to be bored Absolutely by it. Not. It's just little kid stuff. No, those are all horrible things. No. You're just making the I'm example. I'm saying it's a myth. I don't think that. So, um, so I think we're kind of in, there has been teen literature probably since the 60s. Like if you think of the book like The Outsiders, or you think of something like, uh, um, what's another one? Or like even, you know, J.D. Salinger's um, Catcher in the Rye is considered one of the first teen books. Oh, okay. I might push back on that a little bit. But anyway, okay. that's just the general thought. Um, and so there have been books published. Now, when I was growing up in the 80s, um, my my what I had access to as a teenager was like Sweet Valley High, Hardy Boys. Um, I read every one of the Hardy Boys books um, and Nancy Drew. Yes. And then there was a couple of like odd, you know, like there was some Walter Dean Myers, maybe there was, you know, like the Outsiders. And there's a few people, just a few people writing. And so I very distinctly remember going, oh, I don't like any of this stuff. I'm just going to read adult stuff. So I was reading adult books in middle school because I didn't feel like there was anything that I was ready for in the teen, what was considered teen literature. Um, which is ironic because now as an adult, that's all I read is teen literature. But anyway, uh, so I think, and then I think what happened was, is that the popularity of some of these series and things like that, and teen literature has exploded in the last 10 years. And so it's become a thing where there's so many amazing authors that are writing for teenagers um, on, in, on purpose, not just because a publisher said, oh, I think this is a teen book, but them consciously going, no, 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 this is who the, I want to write for. This is my audience I want to write for. Well, there's a relatability there when it's on yes, purpose. When, absolutely. Yes. It's I, not just something like, oh, I wrote a book and now somebody else is going to decide who we're going to publish well, you have to for. relate to what the story is or yes, how the story is being told. Yes, I think the best told. ones do that, yes. And so I think we're kind of in the middle of one of our golden ages of teen literature, which is there's just... It's just there's so much out there and there's so many great writers um, that are writing for teens. And I think and here's the thing. So now that I I read maybe a two book adult books a year, maybe, maybe. And what I've found the biggest difference, I think, is the pacing. Adult books are a little slower, slower paced. I usually read an adult book and by about 30, 40 pages to the end, I'm like, why isn't this book over already? I don't understand why we're not done. Why? What do we have left to talk about? Um, and so I've, and, and so I feel like teen books are just a little faster and tighter, tight, like the tighter plot lines. I th- that's my opinion about that. And I think that, however, I also think that they, Sometimes I read an adult book, I feel like I'm, they're getting paid by the word. 
right? And sure, so I don't sure. feel like I'm like, oh, really? Do we need a whole page to describe this sea, like the the woods? Do we need a whole page? Well, I get it. We're yeah. in the woods. Like I, you don't need yeah. to. An example, I used to, I loved Tom Clancy's early work. Mm. Uh, and then I think he just got too big and too Tom Clancy yes. for an editor. Yes. And then his books just went to shit. Yeah. Kind of. There's too much. I, I need to get through all yes. 57 pages yes. till the next thing happens. Yes, exactly. So. And so um, I think teen books do a better job of keeping their reader engaged. Um, do I think the quality of writing is the same as, yes, I do. Of course, there's fluff. There's fluff in adult books there's fluff in children's books and there's fluff in teen books absolutely but is there literary quality that is on par with adult books absolutely there is and so i feel like when i see adults in the teen area i'm not surprised i don't don't shame them by going what are you doing here you can't read teen books i think i i congratulate them and say this is amazing what else do you want to read by this person i have lots of suggestions i can give you and i don't blame them because i feel like a lot of that is much more accessible than i think a lot of the adult writing is in my opinion, but I'm also very, very biased because oh, I love and adore sure. teen literature. So <laughs> I'm not the one who's going to talk you into reading adult books. You know, I've grown up, my whole adult life has mm-hmm. been in music radio. Yes. And the the formatting of music, saying mm-hmm. that this is a pop song, this is a country right. song, this is a rock song, right. this is that. Um, right. But we've talked about how the over formatting and the 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 squeezing these mm. these artists into a specific into a format isn't yes. such a good thing. No. Do you think that that formatting of literature into teen literature and adult literature is a is it helping or could is there a bad a dark side to that? I always I think that there's I think there are some stories that you read and you go, hmm, that was an interesting decision to publish this as a teen book. And I think there are adult books that I'm like, hmm, they might have done better publishing this as a teen book rather than than as an adult book. Uh, And I think that there's always going to be struggles when you're trying to put a creative thing into a box. I don't think creative things and art necessarily lends itself to that. I think there's always, always, there has to be this like organic... um, they're just not a thing that you can just slip into and say, well, this is this. Of course, there are books like that. Like, of course, there's murder mysteries. Like, of course, yep, that's what it is. But it's also these five other things. It's also a story about this boy's relationship with his dad. It's also about how he fits into his community. It's also about, you know, like, so yes, there's an overarching genre, if you will. But there's also many other pathways into this book that I can sell this book by talking about this, or I can talk about that, or I can talk about this. Um, And so I feel like always putting things into a box does a disservice generally thing to Mm -hmm. the art that's being created. Okay. Now you, and I want you to be honest with Mm -hmm. me as, uh, as, as a parent, as I am of a a, (laughs) a daughter that's going to be 13. Yes. And she reads nonstop, which is wonderful. She reads a lot of teen literature, basically all that's most of what she reads. Am I wrong to worry and really, part of me thinks, <laughs> but I want you to read Hemingway or I want you to read, Yeah. am I wrong to be worried that she'll never move in that direction? I Maybe never, she doesn't have to. I would never tell a parent to be worried. I think that first of all, um, if she's reading, you're halfway there. Yes. And I think, and here's the thing I think most about when parents get worried about what their kid is reading, like if they're not reading enough novels and they're into graphic novels and well, that, you know, and I always say, is your child reading? And they say, yes. I said, the choice of reading what they want to read, that's the pathway to a lifelong reader. Telling a kid what they have to read and making it feel like homework 
I think is the way to turn a kid off immediately to the thought, the idea of reading. Now, can you suggest and, and nudge and try and say, hey, maybe just, you know, whatever? Uh, of course, like that's my entire job is to be like, try this one, see what you think. But I also think that I hate being told what to read. I hate it. I hate being like, you have to read this book now. And I'm like, why? Why? Instantly why? don't want to read it. Immediately. Even if it could be the best book I've ever read. And immediately I'm already turned off because I'm like, I don't want to be told what to read. I want to read what I want to read. Like, what am I in the mood for? What am I interested in right now? What am I obsessed with? Right? So I don't want to be told what to read. And I think the kids feel that way too often, especially since they have so much in school where they're being told you have to read this book. We're reading this book for school. We're reading this book for class. You have to write a paper on this book. Um, And so if you're wanting your kid to be a reader outside of schoolwork, letting them read whatever it is they want to read is, is I think, one of the best ways to make sure that they continue reading for pleasure after school, outside of school, just as a human being in the world. Because that's the way they're going to be like, oh, I really like this. And what I've also found is that kids will get there eventually. Yeah, they will get there eventually. They'll find it right. in their own way, as and that'll be way more special and memorable for them than it is. Oh, my dad told me to read this, and I have to read it now. You know, like I don't. <laughs> as, as, as just a, a relatively intelligent adult, I know that. But as a parent, it's like I, I still know. my you know every gift giving occasion, yes. Christmas and birthdays, yes. uh, I always give uh, my daughter some things that. I know she wants, right. and then I give her a book. Right, usually a classic. Sure. So, and and I'm very aware that she has no interest in that book right now. <laughs> I would give yeah. I, her last at Christmas. I gave her uh, James Harriet's All Creatures Great and Small. Perfect. Yeah. And I know, and I've been told by my wife, stop telling her how good it is and that she should read it. You're going to ruin it. And I'm like, I know, I know, but I just love that book so much. And but I so I'm. She well, has those books. She has those books, and I'm trying to be patient. Yes, I think that's great. Here's what I think you should also do. Okay, you should have her give you a book. Oh, I think you should have oh. her give you a book that she loves and she really wants you to read and connect with, and see what you think. Oh. I think that would be a great way to kind of meet her where she's at, and then she'll be like, "Oh, well, Dad's willing to read a book for me. Maybe I'll be willing to read a book for him later on down the Can- road." Can I put conditions on it? Because she likes true crime. I hate true crime. Well, I suppose it depends upon if you let her put conditions no, on the books that you no, want no, her I'll to read. It. That's a brilliant idea. So, that would be the only thing. Like, it's all about connecting over through literature, right? And so maybe you have to go to where she is right now. I know. And she'll get to where you are eventually. Okay. Sorry. No, that's I don't okay. mean to pop no, that bubble, but I'll do I just, it. No, that's a brilliant, brilliant idea. <laughs> I, I'm sure she has a book that she loves and adores. If she's a reader, she has a book that like just means a lot to her. She and does. so she does. I think you being able being willing to share that, I think, would be amazing for her. And you, you might end up being like, dang, I didn't know this book was so good. I would have read it years ago. So <laughs> You can tell that was really good advice that Linda gave me because as soon as she said it, I thought to myself, duh, (laughs) why didn't I think of that? So, Linda, I promise you, I'm going to give it a try. We'll see how it goes. There is a lot going on at the library, and we'll talk about that in the last part of my conversation with Linda Jerome, teen librarian. This is Around River City. 
Hey, thanks for being a part of this conversation with Linda Jerome. She is with the La Crosse Public Library System, and we've been having a great conversation. We've been busting some library myths. As you can tell, Linda is definitely not what you would think of as a librarian or maybe what we've been taught to think of as a librarian from so many, many years ago. Um, And that's a good thing. Uh, you're going to find a lot of exciting ways to spend time with your lacrosse public library system. And that's what we're going to launch into on this final part of my conversation with Linda on Around River City. All right. So I want to talk about uh, some of the non-book mm. things. There are so many non-book things <laughs> that the, I don't know if that's your official term for no, it or not. But we just call them programs. There's a lot of, yes. of programs yes. that you do that don't involve books. Correct. The one I would like to promote especially is story time for adults well technically that does have to do with books but it's sort of yes it does but it's about getting out and connecting correct and i just want to say thank you for letting me be a part of it you invited me to do this once and i did it and i loved it and then you asked me to be a regular regular and then suddenly i'm feeling the pressure and i'm like oh shit now i gotta find a (laughs) what it is it is the thing well, and welcome to Storytime. That happens for us, even you services librarians. When we have to do a story time every week, we have to find new books every time. And so sometimes it is difficult. So welcome. So, so what Storytime <laughs> is, is uh, there's usually four or five people reading, uh, maybe? Yeah, four to six, four generally. Four to six people mm-hmm. reading. And not not all people from the library. Nope. You occasionally have a... you 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 slum it with we, a radio oh, DJ. And uh, we, we meet usually... Yes. At Turtle Stack. At Turtle Stack Brewery. Mm-hmm. So we're having beer. Uh, we're having a good time. There's a lot of laughter. Absolutely. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I love the intimacy of it. Yes. How small it actually is. Yes. Yeah, it feels very much like uh, kind of like a, a, a someone's living room in a lot of ways. It feels very much like we're just here to have a good time. And I think one of the beauties of Storytime, and I can't take credit for the creation of this. My colleague, Barry McKnight, is the one who came up with this brainchild, and I inherited it from him. Uh, but I've been a fan of it since the first, I went to the very first Storytime for Adults. I was just there as a person, not as a librarian. And I was like, this is an amazing idea. I have to get in on this. Well, yeah, and in case you do have that, Still are trying to get over that stereotype of the library. Mm-hmm. I can I can tell you that I I have read things like song lyrics. Mm-hmm. I remember once reading a little bit of Hemingway, yeah. and a man came up to me with a almost a tear in his eye, mm-hmm. and he showed me a tattoo and saying that Hemingway Hemingway was the first uh, book old man author, in the sea, right? Yes, yeah. old man in the sea, and that that he read to his daughters, and they have a tattoo of, yeah. of Hemingway, and he does, and. Yes. Uh, I, I, I've read silly song lyrics. I've poetry, read poetry. Yep. Um, I've read dark stuff yep. and funny stuff. And everybody is so entertaining. And yeah. it is so unlike what you would expect. Right. And it's at a great business, which brings yeah, up another question that mm-hmm. that interaction between commercial business and the library. Yeah. That is, it, I don't know if that's a rare thing or if it's a new thing, but it sure is cool. <laughs> well, it, it's a, it, we, uh, we want lacrosse to be successful so if we can help with that in some way that is beneficial to both parties we're totally down for that such as turtle stack provides a great space for us they open up special just for story time for adults they open up at a night they're typically closed they provide the staffing and of course the beer and if we can help a small business be successful we're all about it i think that kind of interaction is the only way to go yeah so i've talked about program that I love very much. What's another program that you oh, love that you'd like to so let us know about? There's so many things. Like I just I think a lot of times people are surprised at the number of things that we have going on at our library. Uh, because I think that a lot of people still have that kind of outdated 1950s version of what a library is. Uh, and I think that if they took a look at our 
events calendar, they would be shocked at the amount of things that we have. Of course, we have all the traditional things. We have story times for kids. We have um, we have programming for seniors. We have a program every Monday called Monday Mornings at Maine that's aimed at senior citizens. It's an amazing program. I stumbled on something on the on the calendar mm-hmm. uh, just before you got yeah. here. There's something coming up called Bad Art Night, yes. which I think is right up my alley. <laughs> Yes, yes, and so we have a, we have that we have. Um, it's in a, it, and I loved yeah. one of the things. Sorry to interrupt, no, but one okay. of the things I loved about it was that it's in a place called the Creative Space. Yes, we have a creation space is uh, in our basement area, um, and uh, it's it's sort of new. It's kind of I mean it's been there for a little while, but with the pandemic, it kind of everything got shoved back, um, and so it's a space where we just kind of carved out in our basement. It's in a non-public area, generally speaking, um, but we'll take you down there, and then we've got a whole bunch of the things we have a whole bunch of plans for what we can do down there so we've had you know we've had art down there we've had wood carving down there we've had we do all of our craft we have a crafter noons that happen once a month that you can come and sign up and make an amazing craft crafter noons crafter noons who came up with that i don't know one of our fabulous (laughs) adult services and so we have that kind of stuff happening we have i mean we just hosted a uh an author, Meg Medina, was just here in La Crosse last night. I was going to say, I think the best thing that you have, the best service you have is the website because mm. there is so much that yes. is going on. Again, it's lacrosselibrary.org. Library.org. Yes. Linda, I think we're going to have to wrap things up here. <laughs> okay. There's no. T- I was going to talk a little bit about the history of libraries, uh, and I, I wanted to talk about the library at Alexandria only because uh, I wanted to make a joke that I have, a, I have a papyrus scroll that is way overdue. <laughs> I don't know. What the fine is on that. I'm just going to say that right now, just because it's something, again, that people don't know, maybe haven't heard that we are fine free at our library. Oh. So we do not charge overdue fines anymore. And the next time, uh, I don't I, I don't mean to be the hard hitting newsman, but I'm going to go on a rant about the Dewey Decimal System. Oh, yes, we can both so do that. Yeah. Let's, that's for next time. Sure. Perfect. I'm in. Thank you, Linda. Thank you so much for being a part of the Around River City podcast. You can find out more about what's happening at the library. You can find out more about what's happening all around the area by jumping on aroundrivercity.com. And you can subscribe to the podcast there, too. It's absolutely free. It doesn't cost you a cent. And I'll send you an alert every time I've got a new episode up. And it's a really good chance to keep up with all of the interesting, exciting, and fun stories that we all have in this area. I'm Ken Cooper. This is Around River City. Thanks for being a part of the conversation.